Welcome to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada's podcast on mental health. This podcast is part of a series to inform people affected by a blood cancer. My name is Charlotte Hall Coates, and I'm the Community Engagement Manager for the Atlantic Region. I am part of a team across the country whose role is to connect people affected by a blood cancer to resources that inform, support, educate, and empower. Today, I'm speaking with Barry Yard. Chief Warrant Officer Barry Yard enrolled in the Canadian Forces in 1981 and completed medic training at CF Medical Services School in Borden, 1982. He changed paths in 1984 and entered a specialized career, eventually rising to the rank of Chief Warrant Officer in 2005. As a Chief Warrant Officer, Barry served in various command roles, which included his final command role with Task Force Afghanistan, 2008. It was during this deployment that Barry was injured in 2009, an injury that eventually resulted in a medical release in 2015. Barry's injury had a profound and challenging impact on his life, sending him into six dark years of depression, addictions, and self-destructive behaviors, leading to a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder in 2010. PTSD therapy set Barry on a remarkable journey of self-reflection and recovery, during which he completely repurposed his life into one that now focuses on assisting others who are struggling with mental illness. Unfortunately, his battle with mental health was not yet over as Barry was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage 2A, in 2016. Yet again, he was propelled into action. The desire to get better took over, and he battled the cancer with the same tenacity he afforded to PTSD. Barry continues to give back to the community both in his role as a mental health peer educator and in his support of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's annual Light the Night Walk. Welcome, Barry. Thank you, Charlotte. So to uh, get us started, um, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with mental health? Um, as you said, I was medically released from the Canadian Forces and diagnosed with post-traumatic stress after tours in Afghanistan. Uh, the twist for me came when my PTSD treatment ended, and about six months later, I was diagnosed, as you said, with Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I was in my mid-50s around the time the diagnosis came out. Uh, so that kind of started my uh, road down in the world of mental health. Uh, my struggles both with PTSD and with cancer and the impact it had on my mental health were significant in my next career choice. So my current professional role I'm a mental health peer educator for the federal government. I work mostly with uniformed employees and bringing them the Road to Mental Readiness Program, which is a holistic preventive medicine style program that teaches stress management, coping strategies, how to mental, uh, recognize mental illness and injuries, and really uh, gives people the tools they need to deal with their own mental health struggles. So when it comes to mental health, I have both the personal experience of being one of those people who had to deal with mental health related issues as well as fortunately enough now being trained and educating others on how to deal appropriately with those types of things that reach out and touch their mental health. That's so interesting. Your perspective is, uh, is pretty unique, I think. Um, can you talk about the ways that having cancer can impact someone's mental health? You know, uh, there's, there's three words that sum that question up and, they, and those three words are you have cancer. There are three words that uh, we all hope that we're never going to have to hear, but for a large percentage of the Canadian population, there are three words that bring life-altering experiences 
enforce upon patients and families alike this whole concept of a new normal to improve our understanding of the ways that cancer influences mental health. I think it's important that we talk briefly about the stigma associated with mental health diagnosis, uh, which in turn gives us a better idea or clearer uh, awareness of the relationship between cancer and mental health. You only need to look at the applaudable efforts that the uh, Mental Health Association of Canada and all its partner organizations take each year to help educate everybody in mental health. We need to educate people that it's an illness just like any other physical illness, and then it's okay, in fact, um, to have a mental illness. The, the focus that you wanna have for mental illness is to recognize the fact that it's completely normal, that it's healthy to talk about it. And for a lot of us, we really have to face the fact that stigma associated with mental health from society in general is completely wrong. And once we break that stigma, then I think people will be better suited to, to accept the fact that mental illness is out there and that we all need to talk about it. When it comes to cancer, really cancer is, is unique in that it has the potential to take normal feelings that we associate with physical health problems, you know, serious problems, and it really intensifies those feelings to a level that the individual and family members probably have never experienced. You know, to further complicate that uh, mixture of foreign reactions and emotions, uh, the emotional turmoil associated with the diagnosis, it's reality that there's no pattern to the change in intensity. In fact, when we're dealing with cancer, emotions and feelings often change hourly, daily, minute by minute, depending on what's happening in the, in the patient's uh, life at the moment. So really, we look at cancer having an impact on our moral codes and core values, really challenging foundational beliefs to the breaking point for a lot of people. Uh, a good example of that would be if you consider that, you know, with cancer patients, um, oftentimes they are the person in a family unit up until the point of diagnosis that have uh, act as the family rock. They're kind of like the pillar of strength for the family. Cancer itself pretty much can take that sense of purpose away from the patient and it actually denies the family unit their center of strength, that person in the family that tends to hold things together when things get difficult. Role reversal is extremely common in these cases and in fact it has substantial mental health consequences both for the patient who has to give up being the source of the family strength and also for the family member who now enters a foreign emotional territory as they become the new rock of the family. So. From a mental health perspective, the diagnosis of cancer is, is significant and life-altering. Um, and how common is it for cancer survivors to struggle with mental health? It's very common uh, for that to happen. I'll use myself as the example. As I was deployed across the world, I witnessed the unspeakable, unspeakable brutalities that humans can uh, inflict on each other, the, uh, you know, the, the horrors of war. And, and really, I thought at that point when I, when I left the military that after my PTSD treatment, I, I thought I was pretty good at experiencing trauma. I, I thought I really understood the impact that a significant issue in your life, such as cancer, would have. But I was really wrong in my beliefs that uh, I was ready for it. And I can say with certainty that cancer, specifically Hodgkin's lymphoma, was probably the most traumatic event of my life. It's one that actually lingers even today. So, I mean, I, I do mental health education for a living and uh, I still struggle with some aspects of uh, my cancer diagnosis. And I'm three years now post-treatment, uh, so really um, it's something that hasn't gone away. I've learned how to control it, I've learned how to deal with it and recognize the triggers, but 
the trauma of the cancer diagnosis has had such a significant negative impact on my mental health that the fear of death, the fear of what would happen to my family, you know, losing my independence and being forced to rely on others all during my treatment time actually played on my ability to rationalize what was happening to me. So there's a doctor, his name is um, Alec Mitchell, and he was a co-author of a study called Depression and Anxiety in Long-Term Cancer Survivors. He was quoted in the New York Times uh, some years ago as reporting that uh, cancer survivors are more than twice as likely to experience mental health problems compared to adults without cancer. And he went on to report that even after recovering from cancer or a cancer survivor, their fight for health is not over. Um, anxiety is a persistent problem long after cancer is diagnosed, and it's one that I deal with today. The aspects of anxiety related to cancer or being a, ca a cancer survivor, for me, they have not yet gone away. They've, they've lessened in severity, but uh, they're certainly still, still there. What are some common mental health concerns for cancer survivors? One of the big ones uh, refers to difficulties with uh, cognition, attention control, you know, short-term memory aspects. Um, it happens during chemotherapy, and it's called chemobrain. It's an actual phrase. It sounds kind of funny, but uh, really, um, it's that fogginess that you find yourself in while you're experiencing chemotherapy. Um, another common concern would be uh, things like depression, uh, trouble sleeping, anxiety, and stress. These are all mental health problems that have been experienced by survivors and continue to be reported today. Social isolation is uh, really common with a lot of cancer, cancer survivors. Um, I know myself, when I was having really bad days, rather than being surrounded by the support of a family, I really preferred going down into my office in the basement and uh, just being by myself to uh, almost suffer in silence. But it, for me at the time, it felt like it was the right thing to do. Hindsight tells me certainly that uh, social isolation is, is not an effective coping strategy, obviously, but uh, certainly it's one that uh, we're all open to as cancer survivors. One of the big ones for me and for a lot of people that I've talked to that have cancer is the fear of the unknown. And really, that, that's a huge question that most of us don't really take time to truly appreciate until we find ourselves in a position where um, what's going to happen next, what's going to happen to my family finances or the family dynamics. It, you know, the, it changes rapidly as you uh, go down the road of cancer treatment. So really not really knowing what's coming next and the fear associated that with that left unchecked can become a very debilitating factor in your life. One that, uh, that I experienced uh, very real was that life after cancer, once you've been uh, called a metabolic success, once you've been told you're in remission, you spent so much time while you're in treatment following the doctor's orders, following what your healthcare team is telling you what to do, that you really want your life to go back to normal. And at the time, we think that we can go back to normal and everything will be fine, when in fact, normal is now going to be a new normal. You're in such a rush to get back to normal that we tend to really forget what's happening around us and focus only on getting back into what we consider to be a normal state which causes some significant issues with uh, family relationships, personalities, and, and even your, your uh, view of, of the world around you. And then finally, I just wanna mention that uh, recidivism of uh, DOTE, that's the return of DOTE all the time linked to your expectations of survival. So 
you know, you'll go for a couple of months in remission and you'll be feeling fine and then you'll have an ache or a pain or you'll notice a spot on your arm or your leg or somewhere on your body and you think, oh my gosh, the cancer is coming back. All the uh, normal aches and pains that human beings experience in healthy life are magnified for cancer survivors. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, unique challenges for both people who are undergoing treatment, but also, as you said, for cancer uh... Uh, survivors for that sort of next stage of of their experience. Um, exactly. So, what are some what are some practices that could help someone experiencing these types of mental health concerns? We got to recognize that uh, fear um, is likely the largest emotional challenge associated with cancer and mental health. And really, I would encourage all cancer patients and families, whether you're in treatment or if you're a survivor now that we need to recognize that the emotion of fear is a completely normal feeling. A lot of times we'll feel fear and we'll be afraid to talk about it because we think that we're that unique person who doesn't have the strength or the internal fortitude to deal with what they're processing. Um, but really, the emotion of fear is completely normal to the diagnosis of cancer, both as a patient and as a survivor. And really, I, I would ask you to be honest with yourself about your feelings. You know, Try to avoid feeling guilty about having them um, and really recognize that they're not going to go away if you try to ignore them. They're actually going to intensify in feeling. So really, you need to talk to your cancer care team about your feelings, particularly about your fears. Taking control of our physical health obviously reaps positive uh, rewards for our mental health as well. So the two of them are very closely linked to physical health and mental health. So it's important to attempt to focus on staying as healthy as you possibly can. Trust me, when you're taking chemotherapy, thinking that you're healthy or trying to stay healthy can be pretty challenging. But simple little things like going for a walk when you feel up for it, watching some TV when you feel up for it, or having a conversation or playing a game of cards, these are all things that we can do to um, help us stay healthy. If you have the opportunity, you can join a peer support group for your particular type of cancer. It's an absolutely wonderful resource. I, I joined, um, I had a peer uh, support worker that was with me who had the same type of uh, cancer that I had, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I was linked up to that person through the uh, Leukemia Society, and, and really he became that guy that I could ask questions of that I didn't want to ask anybody else, you know, and, and really um, encouraged me to, to take a hold of what I was feeling and put it to positive use. Definitely. Those are uh, some really good insight. And, and we, uh, we always strongly recommend people checking out our peer support program to, uh, to see if there are volunteers available to, uh, for them to connect with. So that's, that's really great. Um, and what are some coping mechanisms that, you know, people could use to help with uh, their mental health? You know, the stresses associated with being diagnosed with cancer or caring for someone with cancer are pretty formidable. And they have the uh, potential to really impede our ability to cope with regular day-to-day -day occurrences. And because of that, you know, they can be directly responsible for mental health-related illnesses associated with surviving cancer. So really to better understand the impact of cancer uh, or cancer stress on mental health, we need to look at the stress response first inside the cerebral hemisphere. It's a primitive structure of our brain called the amygdala and it controls fight, flight, or freeze. Fight, flight, or freeze is that response that has allowed the caveman to avoid being eaten by the saber-toothed tiger and actually uh, hasn't changed up until modern days. It's the one that keeps us alive as well. It's the one that gets us ready to deal with stress. It's the one that gets us ready to deal with those things in our lives 
that have the potential to cause us harm. The way it works is uh, when we sense a uh, what we consider to be a potentially threatful situation, whether that's a diagnosis or a car accident or a whole slew of things that can cause it really. So what they do for us, the adrenaline and cortisol, is it increases our blood pressure, it increases our heart rate, our breathing increases as our body is preparing to either fight, flight, or freeze. The problem though is that when the amygdala kicks into play, and it's important to note here that the threat signal gets to the amygdala twice as fast as it gets to our frontal cortex. And really our frontal cortex is that part of our brain where we do our, all our conscious thinking, where we do all our reasoning and decision-making. So once the adrenaline and cortisol hit the bloodstream, you effectively and momentarily lose access to our frontal cortex. The amygdala is actually steering the boat. We already know that those uh, adrenaline and cortisol in great quantities in our bloodstream is not healthy for us. But you don't really have a whole lot of choice in the matter because once that amygdala kicks off the four bell alarm, it's going to happen. So the trick, and it comes back to the question that you asked me about coping mechanisms, is to learn how to mitigate the response of the amygdala, to mitigate the response of fight, flight, or freeze, so that our frontal cortex has the ability to step in, control that response, reduce the amount of adrenaline and cortisol, and thereby reduce the stress response. Because what happens with our body is when we experience that stressful trigger, so you're sitting in your doctor's office and the doctor says, Barry, you have Hodgkin's lymphoma, there's an immediate response. You panic, you stress, adrenaline and cortisol gets pumped into the body. And over a period of time, as a rational adult, you know, you're able to control that response over a period of time. But what happens is your body stays on alert, your body stays ready for the next punch for a lot longer than we realize. So when you leave the doctor's office and you sit in the vehicle with your wife and she says, how does it go? And you say, I have cancer. This response happens all over again. So this is where the coping mechanisms come into play. And some of the coping mechanisms that we can employ are quite simple. I would suggest that most humans, uh, as you walk around in your day-to-day -day life, are probably doing them already. You just don't realize that you're doing coping strategies. Or even if you do realize that you're doing them, maybe the words that they're described as haven't been formalized in our thought process. So the first one that I wanna talk about, it's called visualization or mental rehearsal. And what it does is it allows us to plan for the what ifs. In the case of the cancer diagnosis, you know, you're gonna get that initial shock that you're not expecting, or maybe you're kind of sort of thinking it's going that way, but you haven't really had time to put into play in your mind, what am I gonna do next? Um, what am I going to do if I uh, am in chemotherapy and I think I'm going to have it a bad day, but it actually turns out to be a good day, or vice versa, I think today is going to be a good day, it turns into a really not a great day. Um, you already have those plans in place. And by doing that, by having a plan in place, it allows the frontal cortex to, in essence, slow down the fight, flight, or freeze response. And that it allows you, the thinking part of your brain, that frontal cortex, to tell the amygdala, that it's all right, we don't need the full four bell alarm that we know what we're going to do next because we already have the what ifs planned out. So really it reduces the stresses associated with curveballs that all cancer patients get thrown. Uh, on my chemo days, we always went out for lunch because that was the only day I knew I was going to feel good for a couple of hours after chemo before the effects of the chemo really started to drag me down. So we would go for lunch. However, there were a couple of times where chemo went bad, I wasn't feeling great when I left the hospital. So instead of panicking, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose out on a good day, 
we would get takeout, we would go home. Instead of allowing the, the disaster of me thinking that, oh man, I just screwed up another thing for the family, we're not gonna go out. Um, my what if plan was to take it home. And I visualized that. And again, it simply allowed me to slow the amygdala down to reduce the amount of uh, adrenaline cortisol in my bloodstream so that I was able to deal with that particular setback. Another one is called diaphragmatic breathing. It's really the go-to coping strategy. And it's really simply a process by where we maximize lung inflation, subsequently increasing the amount of oxygen that's available in our bloodstream to be absorbed. And oxygen saturation is a known and effective strategy to both mitigate the stress response and also to help rid our body of excess adrenaline and cortisol associated with the stress response. So it's as simple as taking a deep breath. It really is that simple. Think about uh, you're in the shopping center with your child and your child might be having a bit of a meltdown. A lot of us will simply say, you know what, it's, just take a couple of deep breaths and slow everything down and then we'll start to talk about it. And for adults or anybody with cancer, really, it works the same way. When you're feeling overwhelmed, force yourself to sit still, take some really deep breaths and you almost immediately feel the calming effect of doing so. Uh, the third one is goal setting. You might be thinking, how does goal setting actually help us control the stress response? And it's quite simple. Um, our brains, they, it demands order, right? I mean, you, our brain works best when things are ordered for us, everything's in a row and it's you know, sequentially ticking off. However, in the uh, new normal that a cancer diagnosis provides, or even as a survivor, really there's a lot of chaos in day-to-day uh, -day life. Uh, we haven't quite figured out where we're at in the world, what's going to happen to us, or if we're a survivor, we're still getting used to the new order. Um, so by setting goals, it allows us, like visualization, to create a plan. Um, it gives us control or ownership of that plan, and that in turn allows us to turn the chaos of day-to-day -day life as a survivor or as a cancer patient um, into a bit more orderly uh, structure. So really, it defeats fight, flight, or freeze before it even allows it to get going. Positive self-talk is the next one that I'll, I'll refer to. So on average, uh, a human brain will process 300 to 1,000 words a minute. So if you think about that for a minute, I mean, that's a lot of squirrels making a lot of chatter in your brain. And if we allow that chatter to be negative, um, and there's a lot of negative thoughts associated with having cancer or dealing with cancer or even at supporting someone with cancer, we can find ourselves in a pretty negative thought process pretty fast. And it really, when you're in that negative thought process, it makes you much more susceptible to stress so by keeping that inner dialogue positive, we defeat the amygdala from gaining control. Um, now I understand that this is a concept that's quite easy for me to talk about, but I can assure you both in my professional life and in my personal life, maintaining positive self-talk is probably one of the most challenging things that adults have to try to do because our brains are programmed to a negative bias. And I'm sure you've all experienced this. It's, it's, it's much easier to revert to a negative bias in a thought process then it is to challenge your thoughts and make them into a positive thought process. But it is very effective when you get good at it because you can take all those negative thoughts and, and put a positive spin on things. That then allows your frontal cortex to maintain control over the fight, flight, or freeze response and prevent that release of adrenaline and cortisol. Finally, uh, the last uh, coping strategy that I'll talk about today is uh, meditation and wellness. And meditation and wellness is exactly as it sounds. It's that pursuing activities in life that bring us a sense of whole, uh, being at peace with our body and mind in troubling times. It's all very effective when we're trying to defeat fight, flight, or freeze. 
meditation and wellness can encompass a broad, broad array of things that you can do. Uh, yoga, going for a walk in the woods, being at one with nature, really contemplating life and why you're walking around on the planet. Those are all those types of things that we can do that fall into this category. Um, spirituality is another one that falls into the category of uh, wellness. All types of things, again, as you, if you practice them, or at least you try to become effective at them, it helps us defeat the fight, flight, or freeze. <laughs> well, thank you, Barry. Those were uh, great uh, coping mechanisms. A lot of them have to do with just sort of taking care of yourself and, and being nice to yourself, which I think is so important. Um, so we're going to switch gears a little bit and uh, and talk about, you know, your own experience with a cancer diagnosis. So can you tell us a little bit about how you worked with your healthcare team and, and talk to them about your own um, mental health concerns? I want to just throw out there for everybody that's listening that without a doubt, they were the most caring and compassionate people I've ever met in my entire life. And I've met a lot of people in my life. Um, absolutely phenomenal people who were always willing to listen to what I had to say and always had suggestions, hints, and sometimes even just sat there and, and listened to what I was what I was talking about, just displaying their own compassion simply by listening to what I had to say. So they were incredibly helpful in my healing process. Uh, I think without that type of compassion, without their uh, they're carrying an empathy towards my what I consider to be life-altering events. Um, my mental health outcome post-cancer probably would have been a bit more challenging than it was. I'm very fortunate that I work in the mental health uh, world. So my colleagues and my peers in my workplace were also incredibly supportive. Um, I had the ability to walk across the hall, knock on somebody's door and say, you know, not having a good day and this is why and they would help me talk it through. They would go over um, some of the coping strategies that while I knew I, I wasn't practicing because life was just overwhelming at the time. The healthcare team that is available to you at the hospital is a, is a wealth of resource. It's a wealth of compassion. And I would encourage you just to talk to them. Don't be afraid to talk about anything that's on your mind, just bring it up. And I can almost 100% guarantee that you will get a response that you're looking for from them. Maybe not what you're looking for, but certainly a response that's going to make sense from a mental health perspective. And if it, the, the answer to your question is not readily available, they will find the answer for you uh, with the resources of the hospital that you're attending at the time. It sounded like you had a good help both from your healthcare team as well as your, uh, your coworkers. So that's always good to have those people to turn to. And you talked a little bit uh, before about family and friends. What kind of support did they provide for you that made a positive difference? I think the biggest factor from uh, my family and friends, and my friends, I'll include all my work colleagues, um, that contributed greatly to my recovery was everyone's openness about the cancer that I had and also their willingness to talk about it with me. Um, I would encourage everybody that's listening that uh, put aside your fears of talking to someone about cancer and actually have a conversation that covers some of those difficult questions that cancer patients and cancer survivors always have on their mind. For me, uh, my family and I, we had some pretty frank conversations, open-hearted talks about the process of treatment, and actually ended up talking about the what-ifs as well. You know, that's a big question. Uh, what if this doesn't work? What is the future going to look like for me? What is the future going to look like for my family? 
And by having open, frank conversations about those difficult topics, um, it prepared me uh, to deal with the stresses of having cancer. So overall, what would you say that you learned from your own experience with the blood cancer? Being focused on cancer and trying to get better is incredibly important. But really, you tend, when you're fighting cancer, you tend to forget what uh, cancer-free life is like because really, you're surrounded by your care team, you're surrounded by doctor's appointments, medical appointments, uh, psychological appointments. Your life is structured, there's kind of a flow that you get into um, and you put everything else aside because you're fighting cancer. Perfectly normal way to feel, perfectly normal expectation of life. But when cancer is over with, when the treatment is done and you're now in remission, really about three to six months after my treatment's finished, I realized that I was still completely reliant on people telling me what to do, where to be, when I had to be there, and what I was going to do when I got there. So my fight to get back to normal became ever persistent and was brought to the forefront of my thought processes. Um, and really, what I learned about myself was I couldn't get back to normal as fast as I wanted to get back to normal. Even though I wasn't thinking about it at the time, it was there in the, my mind that I was starting to fail again. Um, so really, what I learned from the experience, it's an educational piece for everybody else, I think, that is about to go through this or is going through this experience, is accept that you, uh, you're you gonna wanna get back to normal. You're gonna get wanna get back to normal a lot faster than your body is both physically and mentally prepared to do so. And really, at the end of the day, you'll get there, just maybe not in the time frame that you think you're going to get there. What would you say to other cancer survivors who are also experiencing their, their own issues with mental health? You're about to enter a new normal. And the new normal um, post-treatment is going to be just as foreign to you as life with cancer was in the beginning. But what's really important to focus on is that you're listening to this podcast, which means that you are in treatment or you're finished treatment and into remission. And just as you adjust it to life with cancer, you're going to be able to adjust with the life as a survivor. It's going to be confusing. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be some setbacks, but you got to remember that you're in remission now and take strength from that because you survived cancer treatment. You survived life to get into remission. So what you need to start focusing on now is looking forward to the new you, to the new normal, and to embrace those things because it's a great feeling. That's uh, some great advice and, and overall feedback um, for, for all the cancer survivors out there, hopefully soon to be cancer survivors. Um, what would you say to uh, their family and friends? What kind of advice would you give to maybe their, the caregivers in their life? Most people understand this, but you know, acknowledge the fact that even though a treatment is over, uh, the battle of survival is still raging in your loved one's mind and it's a day-to-day -day experience. Um, your support at this point in their life is critical to easing concerns and helping them get back to the new normal or as normal as life can be while you're in remission. Uh, focus on the milestones, celebrate life, continue to treat your loved ones with compassion, empathy, and understanding. What is one thing that you uh, wish people knew about mental health concerns among survivors? So for the general public, what do you wish that they knew? It would be helpful if people had a better appreciation for the impact that cancer has on survivors and really how it changes a survivor's family, specifically uh, that group of people who were there as the support team for the uh, cancer patient and now cancer survivor. 
the family itself, those caregivers are really at an increased risk for depression and anxiety as well. And it's particularly true in the cases where a family member has been the key caregiver during treatment. You know, that person experiences uh, elevated fears of relapse. They are the ones that are dealing with financial burdens as a result of the time off for treatment. So really, um, if your neighbor is uh, has a family member that's dealing with uh, cancer, if someone in your neighborhood is dealing with cancer, the actual process of caring for them um, is a community thing. So provide the support that uh, you think that the family needs. Um, say hello, you know, don't ostracize people um, and recognize that cancer treatment is exactly that. It's a treatment. Um, it's not a... Uh, it's not an end of the world type scenario, but certainly it's a treatment that the family is going to go through, that they're going to experience some mental health concerns, and really we as a community can support them. That's great. Thank you uh, so much for sharing. So thank you so much, uh, Barry, for taking the time to talk with us today about mental health. Um, if you have any questions regarding mental health or need support to navigate your experience, visit our website at lscanada.org. Thank you for listening to the Blood Cancer Experience podcast series by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. You can find us wherever you access your favorite podcasts, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. If you have an idea for the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your comments or suggestions to canadainfo at lls.org. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada is dedicated to funding cutting-edge research and supporting people affected by blood cancers. To learn more and access resources including fact sheets, booklets, and webcasts, visit llscanada.org.